there was a couple that came to him one of them one of the couple the husband was a buddhist and the wife was uh, jewish and they were married and they came to my teacher and they said we have a doubt we have a question now we have two children and we are not sure should we bring the children up as buddhist should we bring them up as jewish jewish or a combination of the two we don't want to confuse our children so what do you recommend so my teacher smiled and said this is a very good question and i would say don't bring them up as buddhist don't bring them up as jewish just teach them two things teach them to be honest about their own experience and teach them to question everything and if each one of us learns to be honest with our experience and question everything now you may become buddhist you may become hindu you may become jewish or you may become none of that or you may become a combination of all of that it will you'll find something that works for you so same with the diets and same with our learning if you bring this experimental approach this adventurous approach then you'll find that this journey of life is very meaningful and you'll not get dogmatic that oh hey this my way is the only way are who knows for somebody multiple meal the day works how can i say that welcome to intensify humanity podcast we bring the stories of ordinary human beings with extraordinary journeys they have been grinded through life in terms of extreme challenges guilt shame and things people cannot even imagine all because they made a choice or decision in life they are literally not just inspiring but intensifying humanity through unconventional ways to such an extent that other human beings are inspired and pushed to live to their highest potential in life I Sundata Sarkar your host today will bring about the story of one such human being I hope you find this episode inspirational Going through life every day without actually understanding why you are doing what you are doing is a bit frustrating sometimes when you have that realization so what to do then how will you connect with your spiritual side Meet Nitya Shanti, the former monk who spent six years of his life as a forest monk and realized that his purpose is much greater and beyond just himself. He came back to the so-called normal world in the conventional society and started teaching people a deeper sense of life in all aspects. His foundation named Nitya Shanti Foundation has taught people and has spread awareness about how important and powerful is first knowing yourself and to be able to live the life from a much deeper aspect and how that will help you in your day-to-day life and also in your growth thus intensifying humanity in the best possible extent so welcome nitya to intensify humanity podcast and i have been like following you after meeting with you and you have a different kind of journey so i really wanted to know more about it and also make our listeners listen to what exact kind of journey you have and your contributions to this world are really unique mm-hmm. so my first question to you is uh, you have been living for quite number of years as a monk so what made you go for that kind of life and what is the reason that you again came out from that life and living in this common life all right so first of all som thank you for having me and i'm uh, i'm glad to be a part of your uh, podcast and your your channel and to reach out through you to all these people who are interested in maximizing their intuitive life 
to really live from the heart instead of the way the culture dictates how we should live. And uh, to respond to your question, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a different kind of a schooling. So I went to a school where the children themselves decided what they wanted to study. So, you know, at some level, we say education is for learning and growth. But what we don't realize is that a lot of education is also indoctrination. And it's telling us to just follow instructions. Don't ask too many questions. Just memorize. Just tell us. So they're telling us what to study instead of asking us what we want to study. So something so basic, right? How come we're never asked even once in our entire education system? What do you want to learn? What are you interested in? So I was very fortunate to go to a school which actually encouraged that. And apart from a few subjects like language and mathematics and something, rest of the time, I would say 80, 60 to 80% of the day, the children themselves decided what they wanted to study. Not only that, they decided which teachers they wanted to study with. So this was a school in Delhi called Mirambika. And nowadays there are many other schools like this. They're called free progress schools or there's also a term called unschooling. So I was fortunate to go to that kind of a school. And I think that was one of the reasons which kind of gave me the confidence to challenge the cultural narrative. I was recently uh, visiting a friend of mine called Hasmuk, and he said something interesting. He said, how come our education is trying to give people livelihood as opposed to making them lifelong learners? So, so much of our education is based on, okay, go become a lawyer, go become a scientist, go become a doctor, go become a this. But how about teaching us to be curious? How about asking us, what are the real problems in life that I want to solve? Not just what work can I do to get money, which is livelihood, but what are the big challenges in life and how can I take my unique strengths and abilities to solve those? So I think I was fortunate to go to that kind of school. And that's what led to my curiosity later on to get interested in meditation, for example. My mother took me for a Vipassana meditation course. I had no idea what meditation is. But when I went for this course, I was still a teenager it really opened up a new dimension because until then I had never, no one had ever taught me to look within. And people say things like live in the now, look within, but I don't know what those words meant. But over those three days, they taught me a very simple, practical way to do it. It was very difficult, no doubt, incredibly difficult, but whatever little glimpses I had, I realized, wow, I am the source of my own troubles. I think it's my parents. I think it's my friends. I think it's my teachers, but the reality is on a moment to moment basis, I am the one who creates trouble for myself. And if I'm the one creating trouble for myself, I'm also the one who has to come out of this. Nobody else can do this for me. So it was a very big wake-up call, a very big recognition. And I stopped complaining and being a victim in my life. And that interest continued. I did more meditation courses. I served on meditation courses. Some people are familiar with the Vipassana meditation. It's, quite a, it's actually one of the teachings which has made meditation become quite a buzzword nowadays. And uh, mindfulness meditation. So Vipassana is one of those uh, methods which has made meditation very popular all over the world. And these are normally 10-day courses where you live in silence for nine of those 10 days. And you meditate something like 10, 12 hours every day. So I went for those meditation courses and that really gave me, it was not easy, but it began to give me a solid foundation. And that's what led to an interest later on in more of these teachings. I read Jiddu Krishnamurti, came across the Buddha's teachings, more pure you know, scriptural teachings. And that's what led to the interest. And in, you know, after my MBA and working in the corporate world, I became a Buddhist monk. And I lived as a monk for about six years. And to address your question, uh, you know, somewhere along the journey, my teacher used to say that there comes a point in your practice where the heart tells itself what to do. So there came a point in my practice where I said, okay, now enough of corporate job, time to become a monk. And I really had a powerful, beautiful experience, six years living in the forests of Thailand and Sri Lanka. And again, there came a point where it said, okay, now this is also complete. This part of your journey is now complete. And it's, you'll, you'll continue the journey, but no longer in the form of a monk no longer in that particular 
uh, you know, format. It'll be a new format. And so I trusted that. And the beautiful thing about Buddhism is there's no stigma about, uh, you know, you don't have to be a monk for life or something. So uh, it, about 2008, I left my monastic life and I just made myself available, just like I think you are following your passion and your, uh, the thing that you're inspired by, you're sharing with people and you're inspiring people. So I was led to this and uh, I just feel very blessed and very grateful that life has led me in this way to what I'm doing now. Wow, for six years, you have been living uh, in the forests of Thailand and Sri Lanka as a monk. I'm sure it might have been a very beautiful experience and an altogether different experience. So uh, can you just share a little bit glimpses about that experience? Sure. So um, there are three kinds of monks. There are city monks, there are scholarly monks, and there are forest monks. City monks are the kinds you will see in uh, city temples, and they're often, they're making, you know, they're more social service oriented. So they make themselves available to people. You have questions, you have doubts, you have problems. Uh, you, they'll give you counsel, they'll give you advice, they'll bless your newborn child, they'll bless your car. <laughs> so they make themselves quite available and they serve an important role. Uh, scholarly monks are more into learning the ancient languages like Pali and Sanskrit, uh, comparing religious comparison. Okay, what is Gita saying? What is Dhammapada saying? What is Bible saying? And they give very learned talks. Forest monks, they also will study some and they'll make themselves available. But their primary focus is meditation and their primary focus is actually practicing the teachings, not just intellectually understanding them, not just trying to disseminate them. So I was a forest monk and I lived uh, in a monastery. Forest monks typically live a little further away from the city. It takes more of an effort to go and meet a forest monk or to go to a forest monastery. And they're not as accessible, right? So uh, in my monastery, we would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then we would meditate from... 3 30 in the morning till about uh, about dawn 5 30 or 6 o'clock in the morning then we take our bowls and we'd walk to the neighboring villages uh, in my tradition we don't use money so monks i did not touch money for six years it's totally the gift economy so we walk through the village with our bowls we walk silently we don't ring any doorbell saying big shang dehi no we silently walk through the village and anyone who's inspired they come out and they give food they put food into our bowl we don't accept money we only accept food cooked food and then we take cooked food or edible food like fruits and things and then we walk through the entire village in silence and we walk back to our monastery and whatever food we all collect, then we share that as a Sangha, as a monastery, we all share that. Even guests, like for example, if you were a guest in my monastery, then you would also share in that food. And then in my tradition, we eat one meal a day. So 8.30 in the morning, one meal of the day. You know, when I was doing this, people would say, Are, this is not good for health. You should eat many, many small meals. But nowadays the fashion has changed, intermittent fasting. So everybody understands, yeah, there's a real benefit in fasting and feasting. Which means when it's time to eat, you eat and then you don't eat for a long time. Because that's the way maybe the ancient people lived. When there was food, they would fill themselves up. And when there was no food, then they would fast. So in my tradition, fasting was very important. And there was a minimum 24-hour fast. And it was not unusual for us to fast for two days, three days, and even longer. I've had monks who fasted for 60 days, for example. And this really puts you in touch with the rhythms of your body. Simplicity, right? Now imagine how much time in the day goes. What will we have for breakfast? Now you make the breakfast, now you eat the breakfast, now you clean up. What will we have for lunch? Now you make the lunch and you eat the lunch and you clean up. What will we have before snack? And how much of our day goes into food? So simplification, even with things like food, uh, things like how we live. So the basic life of a forest monk is a life of mostly seclusion. So we do have a Sangha, but I would say 70 to 80% of the day you're by yourself. And you learn to encounter yourself. So when some people say, you know, it's like running away, you realize you cannot run away. Because wherever you go, you're stuck with your head. You're stuck with your mind. You're stuck with your emotions. And if you're an angry person, you'll carry your anger with you. If you're a jealous person, you'll carry your jealousy with you. If you're a greedy person, you'll carry your greed with you. And the greed will come out one way or the other. Like, for example, there is some, somebody's offered custard. 
and now you realize okay there's only so much custard not enough for everybody but let me take a little bit extra let me take a little bit not greed comes out even though there are other people behind you in line the temptation let me just take a little extra so greed will still be there you see so just because you become a monk doesn't mean your greed has gone away so it's a, it's an encounter with yourself and you have to deal in fact in some way that gets even more intense it's like a pressure cooker scenario there's no distraction there's no phones there's no tv there's no of course there's no uh, you know internet all of those things so you're in a pool of yourself now when you're in a pool of yourself you can either get lost in all of these emotions or you can come to dharma and dharma is a way of awareness so you're aware of whatever is happening within you like you're watching a movie and you're recognizing this is just a movie so that is the main teaching that's the main thrust of being a monk you live from awareness you live in awareness and you strengthen the dharma chakra there is dukkha chakra and there is dharma chakra dukkha chakra means the wheel of suffering which is the wheel of attachment i want more of this and i want more of this and you're holding on and the the wheel of dharma is the, is the, is the path of awareness and recognizing all of this is arising and passing away this is such a profound thing that you have shared <laughs> beautiful thanks for sharing that uh, vipassana yes because i'm a vipassana practitioner but i can relate to what you are saying but i want you to shed some light on this fact because as you mentioned a very very important and powerful concept that nowadays because of the internet and everything people are running for you know paying so much of money for intermittent fasting <laughs> special diets and all which yeah. is which were there since ancient ages and people generally used to think oh no you have to eat you have to eat you know you have to eat small meals a day you have to eat three meals a day you have to have a heavy breakfast you have to have a light dinner so all these concepts have been imbibed through generations after generations and also yeah. basically because of advertisements business and all these things so do you think that uh, and a proper and unconventional education system will help solve the major problems of the world because the education system that has been running for so many decades in our world has not been changed and people generally don't know who they are what their life is all about and everything yeah. so how do you think that this problem this crisis can be resolved and changed you know what i would say is we need to bring back the uh, the spirit of being experimental and being adventurous Uh, there's a friend of mine i was attending a workshop he was giving and he in the beginning of the workshop he said there are four kinds of people who are attending this workshop today uh, the, the first one are called prisoners the second one uh, second ones are called uh, vacationers the third one are professional course goers and the fourth one i'll tell you about so the the prisoners are they're there because they've been asked to come so they're stuck <laughs> they're because and they they they're the prisoners because they've been asked to come so they're here second is vacationer vacationer is here because they like the food and they like the break from the normal routine third is professional course goer they're there to get the knowledge and to make notes and to get the certificates and the fourth kind he said are the adventurers they are here to take a journey and they're not afraid of challenges so i think in life also how we how we approaching our life so i would say come back to the spirit like don't take my word for it because i'm mentioning intermittent fasting somebody saying eat multiple uh, meals a day you know it's all right experiments so go ahead try one week have many many small meals in the day see what that does there may be something in that and go ahead try one or two weeks and maybe skip breakfast or maybe you know maybe eat in a in a bandwidth of 16 hours or 20 hours and see what that does so i think it's nice to be experimental you know when we in the uh be all are aware of something called shareware in software you get you get something called shareware 30 days no price just try it 
And after 30 days, you have an, you have an option, buy it or delete it, it'll no longer work. So with these, with these practices also, I recommend a shareware approach. Practice for 20, 30 days, give it a fair trial, and then see what happens, right? And this nature of being experimental, I think this is the main, which is also what I was mentioning, the school that I went to. It was a very experimental approach. And we were not asked to just believe something because the teacher said it, because the curriculum said it. You know, this is a world of fake news. <laughs> so our WhatsApp is full of fake news. Even the curriculum that is taught, you don't know what the government is pushing down our throats. What agenda is there behind that? So it's, it's very important for us to question and to inquire. And everything, we should inquire. I'll give you an example. One of my teachers, there was a couple that came to him. One of them, one of the couple, the husband was a Buddhist and the wife was uh, Jewish. And they were married. And they came to my teacher and they said, we have a doubt, we have a question. Now we have two children. And we're not sure, should we bring the children up as Buddhist? Should we bring them up as Jewish, Jewish? Or a combination of the two? We don't want to confuse our children. So what do you recommend? So my teacher smiled and said, this is a very good question. And I would say, don't bring them up as Buddhist. Don't bring them up as Jewish. Just teach them two things. Teach them to be honest about their own experience and teach them to question everything. And if each one of us learns to be honest with our experience and question everything, now you may become Buddhist, you may become Hindu, you may become Jewish, or you may become none of that, or you may become a combination of all of that. It'll be, you'll find something that works for you. So same with the diets and same with our learning. If you bring this experimental approach, this adventurous approach, then you'll find that this journey of life is very meaningful and you'll not get dogmatic that, oh, hey, this my way is the only way. Who knows? For somebody, multiple meals a day works. How can I say that? But all I can say is for me, maybe skipping breakfast, maybe eating within the bandwidth of sunrise and sunset. You know, monks, we eat between sunrise and sunset. For many people, this is called the, sun, the sunshine diet. Our eyes don't see in the dark. So maybe nature is telling us something. Cats and dogs, they can see quite well in the dark. Predators can see very well in the dark, but human eyes don't see well in the dark. So maybe we're designed to eat during sunlight hours. Maybe we were never designed to eat after sunset. Experiment, see if it works for you. That's what I recommend. Wow, this was a complete different and new answer. I love that answer. <laughs> and uh, as you mentioned that, uh, you know, people need to be more adventurous. And we see that people are so fearful to take even anything new in life, to experiment. They are just, maybe the fear of unknown grips them. So yeah. where do you think that comes from? And how can people really, you know, uh, come out from that clutch? You know, they're the nice, uh, and some of, some, of the, some of the people listening to this might have heard of this. Uh, one thing they found when they interviewed people who were dying, and they asked them about their regrets in life. Most of these people, when they talked about their regrets, they did not regret what they did. They regretted what they didn't do. You know, when we grow old, the mistakes we make become very interesting anecdotes. <laughs> when it's happening, of course, we cry and this and that. But later on, it becomes very interesting anecdotes. Like, for example, you have a school reunion or a college reunion. And you meet those teachers that you hated in school, you hated in college. The principal who suspended you. And you go and you touch their feet. And you have a good laugh about what happened. right? So when it happened, of course, it was very unpleasant. But you look back and you remember, ha, ah, we were caught by the teacher, the principal, he punished us. And we feel, we laugh about it now. So we don't regret what happened. We regret what we didn't do. There's a lovely movie. Some people who are listening to this might have seen it. It's a movie called Dasvidaniya. It's actually a Hindi movie. The word Dasvidaniya is a Russian word, which means farewell or goodbye. And it's about, I think, Vinay Pathak is in this movie. And he is acting as 
a person who has middle class guy working in a small company every morning he makes a to do list replace mother's batteries for her hearing aid you know buy this milk buy these eggs buy this buy that every day he makes his 10 items of to do list and he's been having these stomach pains so he goes to the doctor and the doctor very matter you know doctor don't have much time nowadays so very matter of fact he's okay we've looked at your reports you've got stomach cancer you're going to die in a few months <laughs> die in a few months and he's shocked and the doctor says yes you know we can try this and that but really there's no much not much hope and he's shocked and he's walking out of that he's like in a daze imagine if you've got news like this you're just in a daze and the next morning he sits to make his to do list by this by that he says what nonsense and he throws away his to do list and he makes a list of 10 things i want to do before i die and this includes things like go to that girl who i had a crush on in college who i never had the guts to tell i had a crush on her and she's married now and everything but he goes in the rain and he rings the doorbell and he lets her know and he goes ahead and he buys that car and he goes ahead and he connects with his brother who he's having a fight with and you know there's a lovely scene at the end of the movie i'll never forget it he and his brother are standing in the balcony of their flat and he tells his brother i'll say it in hindi first ki jab ye ghar kharida tha to is balcony ko dekh ke kharida tha ki yahan par baithenge aur chai piyenge aur itna badhiya scene hai yahi se dekhen par jab se ye flat liya hai tab se main yahan par bas tauliya sukhane ke liye aata tha par ab jab cancer ho gaya hai to main aata hu yahan par aur ghanton tak baithta hu so just to translate this he's telling his brother that when we bought this flat we bought it because of this balcony because it's a fantastic view of bombay but then when we actually bought the flat then i would just come here to dry my towel but now that i've got cancer i sit here for hours i sit with my cup of tea and i look at the scene i see the lovers i see the children playing and i look at life you see so the point i'm trying to make here is that you know each one of us we are on this journey of life and what we're going to regret in life is not so much what we did we're going to regret what we did not do so when you start thinking like this then the courage comes and i would also say be careful of the people you hang out with if you always hang out with dare ve log are log kya kahenge log kya kahenge are log to kahenge no matter how you live your life log kuch kehne wale hain kuch to log kahenge logon ka kaam hai kehna people's job is to say something you know so one thing i you know one when i became a monk i this beautiful phrase came to me that i am not here to please others i've lived a long life trying to please others i went to the school they told me i went to the college they told me i did the mba they told me i did the corporate job they told me and i realized at the end of the day i was not happy they may have been very happy but i was not happy and and when am i going to grow up and take responsibility yeah for some people that's what they love being an mba being in the corporate world but i had to be honest and say no <laughs> i may be good at this but my heart is not at all in this i can't wait for the day to get over i can't wait for the weekend to come i don't i don't enjoy being in this corporate suit i don't enjoy sitting in an air conditioned environment all day long i don't enjoy these fake business meetings i don't enjoy trying to be respectful in front of my boss and cursing him behind his back i don't enjoy this at all so then i had to say then what is important for me right and so i have no then i when i when i had to face myself and say all right so am i just going to do things because other people have told me i am not here to please others i am here to live my truth so this is the journey and one of my teachers said the beautifully when the voice and the vision on the inside becomes louder than the voices and opinions on the outside that's when you mastered your life and each one of us is on this journey i have never heard someone answer that thing and put that in such simple and beautiful words <laughs> to understand and you've explained it beautifully and i'm sure the listeners who are listening 
they will now at least have the courage to go out and do what they love to do before they die. True. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So, uh, Nithya, uh, Nithya Shanti is your name currently. So, this was the name given to you in childhood or this is the name that you adopted. And currently, what do you do? So, I have an interesting story with my name. Uh, my original name is Harsh Khanna. And um, my name, I think a very nice name because Harsh means happiness. Uh, however, it's spelled H-A-R-S-H. So when I teach abroad, uh, then, you know, harsh, they don't understand harsh. For them, it's harsh. So it's kind of tiring to have to explain my name. It's not harsh, it's harsh. And they have a hard time pronouncing it. So anyway, I, I was with that any, in any case. But then when I became a monk, then you'd get a new name. So when I lived as a monk, then the name they gave me is Jnana Santi. It's a Pali, Pali word. Jnana means knowledge. And Santi in Pali language means peace. The one who knows peace. And there's a fun story about that because, you know, we all had the same chappals as monks, same flip-flops. And at night time, this happened to me two or three times. I'll come out of the meditation and somebody else has taken my chappal and gone away. This happened two or three times. So I said, you know, I have to change this. So I took a, I found a permanent marker from the uh, stationery. And on one chappal I wrote, no truth, N-O, no truth, no peace. Right? On the other chappal I wrote, no truth, K-N-O-W, no truth, no peace. So my chapel became the talk of the monastery. Huh? No truth, no peace, no truth. So everybody began talking about my fancy chapels, and I was very happy. But then they got back at me. So when I became a monk, then they gave my name only as no peace. K-N-O-W. No. <laughs> so Jnana Santi means the one who knows peace. So I lived, that was my name as a monk for about six years. And when you leave the monastic life, then you don't typically keep this, the monk name. So I would normally have gone back to the name Harsh Khanna. But when I came back, something, the name didn't fit. You know, like sometimes... It just doesn't fit anymore. Like you have an old shirt, but now it is, and you wore it in the beginning, it fits, but now it doesn't fit. The name Harsh Khanna just didn't fit. So I asked my friends, hey, suggest a new name. This is not fitting anymore. So we brainstormed, and uh, someone suggested Prem Shanti. I say, this is this name. <laughs> Prem Shanti sounds like a very funny name. But then I thought, I like the Shanti, but the Prem bit wasn't working. I like the name Nitya. So I, I, I chose the name Nitya Shanti, and I have a friend who happens to be into numerology. So normally Nitya is spelled N-I-T-Y-A, but she said add the H uh, just for whatever numerological reason. And I said H is nice, H is for happiness. So I spell it as Nitya Shanti, even though the pronunciation is Nitya Shanti. And that's the story of my name. It's a fun story. So this is my legal name now. But of course, old friends still call me Harsh and that's fine. But most people know me now as uh, Nitya Shanti. So that's the story of my name. Did you ask something else along with that? Yes. Uh, so uh, currently, what do you do? The, the story is really interesting, by the way. And this Nitya Shanti name is very unique. And, you know, it gives a sense of peace or maybe something really good attached to it. And it's a really nice name. The fun thing with my name is that uh, many people think Nitya Shanti is a woman's name. So I've had times when, uh, you know, like the bank is calling me and I say, yeah, I'm Nitya Shanti. Then, no, no, no. Nitya Shanti is a woman's name. I said, no, man, it's a man's name. So we have this confusion sometimes. It happens more than one time. I think two, three times they booked my flights uh, as a woman. Then last minute I got to go in and, and the security guys will not let me in. <laughs> Fun stories with my name. Anyway, so what I do is uh, my job or my work is to uh, create spaces where uh, people can slow down a little bit. Uh, the underlying assumption in my work is that everybody has equal wisdom. So you and I, and even a child, and even a grown-up, we all have equal wisdom. However, it gets covered up. 
it gets covered up with ideas about i'm good at this i'm not good at this i am this i'm not this and we identify with various things we identify with our body we identify with our thoughts our emotions our history our all kinds of things and it's like covering 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 so my work is to create a space so the first thing we do is id discard identity discard so if i was to leave my name aside and my history aside and all the things i used to define myself aside then all i'm left with is a sense of being a sense of presence now that is a beautiful place where wisdom can emerge where love can emerge where connection can happen right and of course our old identity will again come in again and we notice ah this old pattern is coming this old way of thinking is coming we tend to have a preference about almost anything the people we are with or the things we like and the things we dislike and this is our identity this is what i i like i believe like for example as you're listening i'm noticing once in a while you're shaking your head you know and why are you shaking your head somewhere inside you yeah, i understand that i like that i agree with that so this is one way of listening but there's a deeper way of listening so at a deeper level we tend to listen with our ideas right so in my what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to create a space where we can slow down a little bit and we can begin to witness not only what other people are doing but also our own internal process we can witness our own thinking we can uh, witness our own reactions we can witness our own emotions and this is a space where wisdom can emerge so it's less about teaching this although i will teach things but it's less about teaching is more about a space where we feel comfortable where we feel safe and we are willing to look inside in a deeper way and we are willing to look at others without judgment and without projection so that's broadly my work now that can take many forms it can be in a corporate context it can be in an open context it could be with children it could be a retreat but the ba- the basic crux is accessing the gap between stimulus and response that's something really deep that you're doing so related to that what is your purpose in life so right now uh, the purpose of my life is to answer your question <laughs> so instead of making it this or that i like to say responding to the challenge of life in each moment and not as nitya shanti but just as life because life is meeting life in each moment so the purpose of my life is to do whatever i'm doing so if i'm walking the purpose of my life is to walk if i'm eating the purpose of my life is to eat if i'm listening the purpose of my life is to listen if i'm speaking the purpose of my life is to speak and what this means is in every moment i'm fulfilling the purpose of my life now if i make it that the purpose of my life is to help 1 billion people all right but then i'll always feel that abhi ho raha hai ki nahi ho raha hai kitna ho raha hai and i'll always be in comparison is this person helping me or not is that so i'll get very you know focused is this helping is that not helping i get very calculated so for me the best definition of purpose of life is meeting each moment of life with openness with wholeheartedness and whatever is being asked of me can i really show up there's a lovely uh, verse from the isha upanishad om purnamada purnamidam purnat purnamadachate purnas purnamadaya purnameva visheshate and what this means is this is complete that is complete what is complete comes from what is complete when you take what is complete from what is complete what is left is also complete and in this sense whatever you do if you do it with a sense of completeness and wholeness and full enjoyment and full attention then this is complete and the next thing will also be complete and whatever comes out of that will also be complete and that's the purpose of my life
This is so profound. I've never heard anybody answer that question in such a manner. And uh, yeah, this is really, really profound and very deep. So uh, would you suggest people to go again on an experimental level and try out meditation and why? So my definition of meditation is an intimate meeting with yourself, right? So it's less about the technique and it's less about the posture and it's less about what activity it is. Like for example, for someone, gardening could be a meditation. For someone, dance could be a meditation. For someone, uh, cooking, cooking could be a meditation. For some of us, just sitting quietly and not doing anything at all could be a meditation. So it's less about the activity and it's more about a sense of timelessness. It is a sense of wholeness and completeness in everything that we are doing. So for me, meditation is being aware of what is happening without likes and dislikes, without worrying about the outcome. So for example, if I'm making food for my family and I'm doing it with a lot of love, a lot of joy, but I'm not worried about will they like it or not? Will they tell me? Will they appreciate me or not? not what will they think of me? If you start thinking like that, it's also nice, but it's, it's not meditation anymore. Because now you are focused on the outcome. But if I do it wholeheartedly, like right now this uh, interview, if you just do it wholeheartedly and not think, how many people will like it? How many people will view it? What will happen to my channel? No, we just do it because you're enjoying the process of doing it. And I'm fully here. You're fully here. Hopefully the listeners also are still fully here with us. And this is a kind of a meditative experience. It's a, it's a sense of wholeness. It's a sense of attentiveness, right? So this is the way I approach meditation. And with this understanding, then a lot of your life can become meditation. Because when you're bringing full attention to it and a clarity of intention to it, then it's like for some people, for them running is their meditation. When they're running, 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 at some point the mind gets clear and they just, they're the whole, they're the naturalness. They get into a beautiful flow. For someone, music is there. They're playing the piano or they're playing the tabla and they get into that state. For somebody else, like I said, it could be cooking. It could be some, uh, some other, some, like I know a lady, for her knitting is her meditation. She just sits and she can knit and knit and knit and knit and knit. And she just loses track of time. One hour is gone, two hours are gone. And she loves it. She gets into that meditative space. So that would be one, one approach to this. So in all of your six years of your uh, monk life, what are the most three important learning that you have got that you would like to share? So uh, the three important learnings, uh, number one is to listen deeply. And listening deeply means not just listening to the words of the other person, but to listen to what you sense they're feeling and what you sense they're wanting, right? So what I hear you say is, what I sense your feeling is and what you really want is. And you check, right? So PQR, P means pause. Don't be in a rush to quickly react, quickly respond, pause, which means let the conversation breathe. So like once in a while, even in this conversation, when you ask me a question, I've just taken a moment. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but I take a moment to take a breath or I take a sip of my tea and then I see what's coming. So this is pause. We're letting our conversation breathe. And Q is question. You check. Is this what you're saying? Have I understood you? Could you clarify that? And, and then respond. This is what I've understood. You're saying this and you're feeling this and you're wanting this. And this can only happen when not only are we listening to the other person, we're also practicing inner listening. So we're also tuned into when you say that, 
this thought comes, this reaction comes, this feeling comes. So this would be the first important learning for me, the power of listening. And many of the people listening to this may never meditate. But you know what? The word listen has the same letters as the word silent. So listen, you see, I have to be inwardly silent. If you are planning your next question, then you're not listening. To the extent you're inwardly silent, you are now really listening. So listen and silent goes together. So for most people in this world, listening will be the kind of meditation that they can practice throughout the day, or at least many times of the day, right? So this is the first important learning of my monk life. The second important learning is the power of love. And now you use whatever word you like, you know, love. Uh, some people have different ideas of love, but essentially heartfulness, not just, not just thinking, thinking, thinking. We use the word mindful, but my teacher has a nice word. He says kindful, kindfulness. Kindfulness has an element of the heart. So when you're with people or when you're facing challenges in your life, instead of overthinking, overanalyzing, getting stuck in thought, what happened, what should happen, what could happen, analysis, paralysis, you come back to the heart and you radiate good wishes, loving wishes. There's a powerful quote by Rumi and Rumi says, this world is in big trouble from top to bottom. It can be quickly healed with the balm of love. So you and I, our families are in big trouble. Our business is in big trouble. Our housing society is in big trouble. Everything is in big trouble. It can be quickly healed with the power of love, with the balm of love. So how do you heal the challenges of your life? Not by overthinking. Come to a place of love. Come to a place of surrender. Radiate good wishes to everybody involved. Even the people you don't like in your life. Radiate good wishes. Tera mangal ho, mera mangal ho, sabka mangal ho. And this is a place of magic, right? So one of the important learnings for me is even five minutes in the day of radiating love to your business, to your family members, to the people in the family you don't talk to anymore, uh, to your clients, just radiating love like this. This is very powerful, very healing. It activates something very magical in our life. And the third thing, the third important thing would be deep silence. And silence does not necessarily mean there are no thoughts or there's no sound. There will be thought, there will be sound, but there's something behind that. You know, like a mirror. In a mirror, many things are reflected, but the mirror just is. In a television, many pictures come, but the television just is. In the sky, many planes go, many clouds go, many, many birds go, but the sky just is. So deep silence is a recognition that this Nitishanti, he looked different when he was 10 years old. He looks different now. He looked different when he's older. His emotions keep changing. He likes something. He doesn't like something. But deep down, there is something which just is. And that is untouched by all the happenings, even the personality level. doesn't matter how my personality goes. There is something in me that is unshaken, untouched by that. Now, whatever way you access that, whether it's meditation or whether it's art or whether it's your bhakti or any other sadhana, we all have different approaches to it. But to get in touch, like karma yoga, you know, you do it wholeheartedly without worrying about what will be the result of this. So in India, we are very fortunate. There are so many different ways to access this sense of isness. So these are the three important learnings for me. Deep love, deep silence, and deep listening. And uh, this is what I've been sharing with people for ever since I've left my monastic life. These learnings are really so powerful. I mean, it can change your life if you really practice it. I think so. So for me, of course, I'll take it and, you know, start practicing it, what you said. And uh, what do you call yourself now? Yeah, I mean, I use uh, different words because, you know, like we are all, I think we're quite multifaceted. So 
uh, when i'm sitting uh, with someone on a flight and they'll say what do you do i'll just say something simple like you know i'm a corporate trainer just keep it simple right or somebody else i'll say i'm a storyteller or somebody else i'll say i'm a teacher or somebody else i'll say i'm a i'm a facilitator uh, for someone else i'll say i don't know what i am <laughs> but the point is uh, because you know it's we all wear so many hats and sometimes we have this idea that oh trainer means this or facilitator means this or teacher means this but it's nice to be fluid and flexible so i am all of these things but i'm also none of these things so i will describe myself in different ways sometimes it's hard to pinpoint what exactly i am but i would say it's a combination of some of these things uh, the most simple thing i would say is that i am a there's a nice word in pali language buddha says kalyana mitra which is the pali word for in sanskrit you take kalyana mitra so someone who is a friend who wishes the best for you this is called kalyana mitra or kalyana mitra so this for me really resonates i am here not not in the not in the in the sense of i'm better than you or i know more than you or i'm a guru to you i am here with the sense of i am a friend on this journey and i can share a few things and maybe you can share a few things as well and we can all learn together this attitude i find really fits with the energy that i'm coming with now people will project all kinds of things so some people project me as you know or they see me a guru see a guru in me or somebody sees uh, you know they really feel a lot of devotion or somebody else just see the yeah, this is uh, someone i can learn something from so people will project whatever they want to project but the energy that i'm putting out there is a kalyana mitta energy i don't want to position myself as your guru in fact a better word for me is shuru shuru in india means a beginner right so for the energy of a shuru for me uh, the energy of a kalyana mitta this is closer to what i describe myself as beautiful so uh, nitya who is your favorite author i don't have one favorite author but i can give you a few names that i find uh, uh, that i these are teacher that i really connect with so one of them is um one of my teachers called ajan bram ajan is a thai word for acharya so acharya in uh, in 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 thai language becomes ajan and his full name is ajan bramavangso but he's popularly known as ajan bram and he lives in australia he travels all over the world and one book i'd recommend i mean pretty much everyone i've recommended this book they love this book and it's full of stories and it's very nice if you see we learn through stories uh, all values whether it's in the in the uh, jataka tales or the panchatantra or the aesop's fables or the arabic nights uh, all of these story values were passed on through stories so ajan bram there's a book called who ordered this truckload of dung and it's a it's a book of stories from his own life experience so that's one of my authors uh, one of the teachers i really enjoy ajan bramavanso another one of my favorite teachers is byron katie Uh, Byron Katie is someone who teaches us a very simple process of questioning our own thinking. She says, you know, we get fooled by our own thinking. Nothing else is troubling us. Our own thinking is troubling. Us. Our own imagination is troubling. And she teaches a way of questioning our own thoughts. Is it true? What I'm thinking right now is it true? Am I sure it's true? What happens when I believe these thoughts? What happens to me internally, externally? What happens when I believe this thought? And who am I without this thought? and this is a process of freeing ourselves because our suffering is primarily coming from internal reaction right life is like not not that difficult there's a lovely quote by byron katie she says reality is kinder than the stories we tell reality is kinder than the stories we tell life is not as difficult as we are imagining it to be so byron katie would be another important author for me an important teacher for me then there's a teacher who some people might find a little bit difficult but if you stay it's like a 
uh, acquired taste. But Nisagdat Maharaj, who was uh, a teacher who used to live in Bombay and had a small home where people would come and they would listen to him. And uh, someone compiled his uh, talks and it's called I Am That. The most famous book of his is I Am That. And these are short chapters where uh, when I first read this book, I didn't like this book because Maharaj can be very in your face, very blunt. But you know, uh, at some point, I found that he's just the most honest teacher. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not trying to sell us anything. He's just telling it the way it is. And so over the years, I've come to, you know, it's like different times in our life, different teachers resonate, different authors resonate. And there's another writer. Actually, he's not a writer. It's quite a mysterious whether he's a real person or not a real person. His name is Wu Shin. W-U-S-H-I-N. So on, on, if you go to Amazon, you'll find a book called The Lost Writings of Wu Shin. And you can get it on Kindle or you can get a hard copy. And these are short, 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 short teachings. One, one on each page, there are a few lines. And I find it every single of those teachings just hits home. That would be an example of another author that I appreciate. And there are more. I mean, I read, I read quite a lot, but these are the ones that are coming to mind right now. Well, that is quite a list and I'm going to get some of them very soon. <laughs> All right. So if not a teacher or a Kalyana Mitra, yeah. then what would Nitya be? I mean, basically, I'm someone who is, uh, uh, I have quite a playful energy. So my hobby, for example, is board games. I have a big collection of board games. And uh, when I'm not in the persona of teaching or sharing, then I'm actually quite an easygoing person. I, I, even when I'm teaching, I'm quite easygoing. But essentially, I want to ignite the element of fun. One of my teachers says, life is a game. Learn to play it. Life is a challenge. Learn to meet it. Right? So life is a, can we bring that approach of life is playful? Life is not as serious as we imagine. So I'm someone who's an experimenter. I'm someone who is an adventurer. I'm someone who likes to remember that life is not so serious and we can have fun. Even my approach to teaching and spirituality, I tell a lot of jokes, I tell a lot of stories, and I invite people. In fact, one of my teachers, Ajahn Brahmavangso, he tells so many, you listen to his YouTube talks, and you laugh and laugh and laugh. And somebody once asked him, why do you tell so many jokes? Our stomach is hurting from laughing. And he smiled and said, when you're laughing, your mouth is open. That's when I throw the wisdom pill. It goes right inside. So when we are laughing, when we are having fun, when our, you know, that's when our mind opens. Our left and right brain hemisphere open. Our prejudices fall away. And that's when the wisdom naturally goes inside. So that's, that, I mean, for me, that's what it is. It's a more playful, joyful approach. It's a lighthearted approach to wisdom and spirituality. Wow, another profound answer. Uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, uh, the usual uh, stuff, uh, you can look up my website, nityashanti.com. There is, uh, I have a podcast on iTunes. You can search for my name, Nityashanti, or search for Spreading Happiness. YouTube, uh, I've got a couple of channels on YouTube. Facebook is there. I have a you look on Facebook for Spreading Happiness or look for my name, Nityashanti. So these are different ways of connecting. Okay, one resource a lot of people have enjoyed is on SoundCloud. So soundcloud.com slash nitya-shanti or just search for my name. And there are hundreds of talks and uh, guided meditations and some chanting as well. If you enjoy chanting, I've done some, you know, uh, Pali chanting and other kinds of chanting. Like one beautiful chant is Mangal Maitri, where you're singing Mera Mangal Ho, like in Goenkaji's tradition, Vipassana tradition, Mera Mangal Ho, Tera Mangal Ho, Sabka Mangal Ho. So that would be another great resource. So the usual places, uh, I'm not that active on Instagram. I'm a little bit old school. It gets tiring to be on so many social media platforms at the same time. But I would say Facebook, YouTube, 
my website soundcloud these are some of the good places to look out thank you so much nithya i'm sure our listeners would have been bombarded with <laughs> profound <laughs> insights and this was such a deep conversation and you thank answered you. my question so patiently and so beautifully i really thank you for coming to the show and you know helping people to understand more about these things about life which we generally ignore or maybe people are not aware about thank you once again all right thank you this no, it was lovely to have a, have a loving 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 and deep conversation with you and i feel that uh, the work that you're doing of you know having because you know this is what you're missing in life because we are uh, so many shallow conversations and so many in, you know just transactional conversations at some level we are we are missing a deeper conversation uh, a, a place where you can really explore what's happening and like you said people who are questioning their assumptions trying different ways of approaching life and i think it's so so energizing and so meaningful to have conversation like thank you thank you for tuning into my show that was nithya shanti a human being who after spending 6 years of his life as a forest monk is on a mission to uplift people across the globe through his initiatives to have a fulfilling life with a much deeper meaning of life thus intensifying humanity to the best possible extent i hope you found this episode inspirational 